Jack, Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, the propaganda arm of the monolith faction currently surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, the wish granter is ours, and the zone belongs to the power plant. This episode is on Jack, a long-running furry webcomic by David Hopkins. Launched in March 2001, Jack follows its titular character, a green rabbit turned grim reaper and embodiment of the sin wrath, as well as a host of other demons, denizens of hell, souls in purgatory, angels, and many more. All furries, of course. Sincerely Christian, David Hopkins uses his webcomic to work through Christian theological problems like the question of evil, the nature of redemption, God's love despite our sins, suicide, why bad things happen to good people, and so much more. A bit of admin before we start. We've got a Patreon account, and if you like what we're doing, allowing us to cover hosting costs, etc. will go a long way to keeping this sustainable. Additionally, one of our listeners is the vocalist and drummer for the band Masticate, and has a new album coming out on the 1st of September named Human Cogwheels. If you're into metal, it's well worth checking out, and the band's Bandcamp link and Spotify will be in the show notes. So, if you're ready to hear about two non-furries' experience with an extremely not-safe-for-work furry webcomic, then listen on. Enjoy. First question for you, Jack. How much exposure had you actually had to furries before <laughs> starting this podcast? Minimal exposure. Like, I knew that they existed. Like, I'd, I'd seen them gathering in the Edinburgh Gardens every now and then. <laughs> but be, beyond that, like, I, I never did a deep dive into, into furry lore or anything like that. What about you? <laughs> um... One of my friends when I was younger had a, uh, when we were younger, had a furry phase. He even bought a, uh, put, put together at least one costume that I know of. Mm. And I believe they're actual characters. So when they put together a costume, they're also creating a persona to go along with that, to go along with that costume. Mm-hmm. And so he, I remember we were probably in our early 20s, I think. If I remember correctly, so it seems to be something that appeals to sort of late teenagers, early twenties, and then definitely not everybody. Some some of the YouTube videos that I was watching coming up to like in preparation for this episode, there's definitely some people that are older than thirty or forty, but it definitely seems like it has a strong bias towards a sort of late adolescence, early adulthood. Mm. It's a young and person's so, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a young person's game, <laughs> and so. <clears throat> he explained some of it to me. One of the main things that my friend wanted to explain to me is that it wasn't just some weird <laughs> fetish, which I think a lot of furries <laughs> is one of the first things that they start. They know they've got to go. They've got to be on the on the offensive and just go. It's not. It's not just a. It's not just a weird animal sex, sex thing. thing. <laughs> it's not a sex thing. But for some people, it is. But I'll take them for their word for it. It's not just a weird sex thing. <laughs> mm. It's, a, it's an all-encompassing lifestyle that includes sex, but is not limited to sex. <laughs> yeah, from my, my explorations in preparation for this episode, like, the, the sexual current is very strong. Very strong. To an extent, that might also be sample bias in that it's a lot... So, which aspects on the internet of a certain subculture are visible? Well, okay, yeah. things that you can convert into videos or pictures and things like that. What is easily converted into those things? Pornography. So 
fucking when i was trying to do research for this just the <laughs> so so easy to get into furry porn from doing any sort of research on furry stuff <laughs> yeah truly weird. and it's like it's, uh, yeah like that's the sort of thing anti. that i can't i need to stop myself holding against the entire furry community because when i see furry porn <laughs> i just i feel revulsion which is and i i need to stop myself extending that revulsion to the entire furry community i don't feel revulsion when i see furry porn i just feel dead inside (laughs) (laughs) what is going on it's just that look human sexuality is varied i just i have a hard time seeing the appeal of like anthropomorphic foxes having anal sex with each other <laughs> and quite <laughs> just it bounces right quite off violent me. quite violent sex yeah, there is a lot it's of a violence strongly depicted graphic violent sex um one of the other <laughs> one, one term i saw somewhere on the internet probably reddit or something um or maybe instagram i don't know uh was the saying don't I think it goes, don't yuck my yum or don't yuck somebody else's yum. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> don't want to yuck your yum, man. So to all the furries out there listening, uh, shout out to the furries or ex-furries in our, in our Discord. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't want to yuck your yum. You know, you do you. Technically speaking, uh, the depictions in those uh, sexual comics are not of people. <laughs> so, And not even of animals. They're of fictional characters. So I suppose, you know... No foul, no harm. <laughs> uh, there yeah. is one thing that I would reference everybody to, which is a really great video on YouTube by the Internet Historian. It's called I love his videos. Uh, the Failure of Rainforest. It's so good. Oh, that, I saw that. That was such fucked. a good video. <laughs> There's a bunch of degenerates just going ruin a hotel <laughs> under uh, like, with uh, with their furry costumes on. At a, at, and yeah. I believe and that, that was something that that contributed to some of my prejudices about furries. Hearing about fur cons, fur where cons. yeah, they sound revolting. You get a group <laughs> of people in a hotel who just go feral, take a ton of drugs. <laughs> Have sex with each other and just ruin the place. Shit on the floor, and that that sort of stuff does not does not give the give Ferdom a good name. Doesn't give the community a good name. No, not at all. <laughs> it's this whole thing of um putting a putting a mask on. I suppose that's why mm. the uh, Guy Fawkes mask is such a powerful symbol. Mm. Is that that's why when you put it on, you, you become to- a hacker. You, you instantly like know how to code. Like never coded before, but when I put this fucking mask on, all of a sudden I can code. <laughs> I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I don't want to code anything useful. I just want to hack things. No, <laughs> be anti-social, <laughs> steal things. Uh, uh, I just start going to people's retirement funds and <laughs> stealing their identities. You turn into the online equivalent of a raccoon. <laughs> Yeah, Guy Fawkes must turn you into the internet version of a raccoon. <laughs> Just Breaking tipping over things, stealing things. things. <laughs> Running off and leaving a mess. <laughs> I love raccoons. They're such little bastards. I love raccoons for the same reason I like cats, because you can tell they just don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. That, um, in Australia, we don't have to deal with raccoons. 
we can enjoy them from a distance. Yeah, we've got we've got possums, yeah, possums. which are kind of like sh- shitty raccoons. Yeah, possums are like much less intelligent raccoons. Not nearly as strong and destructive. Anyway, what were you saying about masks when you put on the mask? Oh, oh yeah, it's just interesting. So I, I I was looking at some explainers of of furry, the appeal of furry, and. It seemed as though one of the appeals is that, well, you can put this mask on, create this character, and then take on this persona and sort of be somebody who you couldn't otherwise be under normal social circumstances, Mm. such as if you're quite introverted, then you can take on an extroverted persona. If you're quite sexually shy, then you can take on a sexually outgoing persona or a flirtatious persona. Um, And in the context of, say, going to a furcon or whatever, everybody there is in the same mindset and they're willing and open to engage with that persona. I can only assume that this, there's aspects of this in other communities, such as perhaps Comic-Con to a degree, um, or there might be other communities where this happens. But it is really interesting because mm. <clears throat> the furry community has basically taken this weird psychological hack that humans have and turned it into an entire subculture <laughs> mm, mm. in a really yeah. quite interesting and strange I, way. I can see the advantage of it, as you said, particularly if someone is withdrawn or shy, in some way introverted, socially awkward, how it's probably quite liberating to be able to put on some sort of mask or a, like a full body disguise yeah, and enjoy inhabiting a different identity for a while and then doing so in a place where other people are not only accepting of that but doing the same thing i can imagine that's very liberating and maybe it's a little bit strange in the form of anthropomorphized animals there are definitely aspects of the community that i think are that i can i can really see a benefit to it's also a remarkably generative community there's a lot of creative stuff being made that they really output yeah, there's he- heaps of... You know those costumes are fucking expensive, right? Yeah, I'm sure they are. They're incredibly expensive. You're talking even just starting out costumes will be a couple of grand. And if you want to make mm. it yourself, mm. they're really they're, they're really complex things to make. My friend who was showing, showing me back in the day uh, was explaining how, say, like the ventilation and how hot it gets. And then also if you've got the mask on, like you need to be able to see people, but, you know, the... Your eyes might be at the level of, say, the the, um, say the mouth of the costume, mm. and the actual the eyes of the costume are actually higher up or in a different spot, and so you might have to have, um, like kind of a, what what would you call it? like a mesh where you can mm-hmm. see through, but it's painted on it's coloured on the other side, so it matches the costume on the outside, so the other people can't sort of see your eye holes, <laughs> and all these. Yeah tips and tricks and then the issues of like you're really clumsy in it because you're wearing this big clumsy suit uh Mm. and you know making sure that stays on your feet and all this sort of stuff doesn't fall off over the course of six hours running around being an idiot so yeah it is it is complex and it's quite impressive (laughs) what they've done and then they've got these enormous enormous body of um literature yeah yeah they yeah it's furries are not just pornographers they also they make other things that aren't porn yeah i mean primarily pornographers but a, a lot of it is porn <laughs> <laughs> you're never you know, very far from porn, porn but there are <laughs> non-porn things 
that the furry community makes, and there's just so much of it. It is really interesting. It does seem to be a group of people who, at least many of them in my limited research for this episode, have some sort of social problems in that they feel shy or anxious or something like that, and so gravitated to a community which has inbuilt some form of anonymity or pseudonymity. Yeah. But then there there must be some... well, there'll, there'll be some overlap between people who have those sorts of social problems and then, or social anxieties, and people who are creative. And if you've got those two things, then you're more likely to go towards being a furry. Well, I mean, the entire there, premise is creative, isn't it? There, there must be more creative people within furdom than the population average. I would 100% bet that. I bet there are, if you sample them on that, Big five personality tests with regards to trait openness. Yeah, I yeah, probably very high trait openness and probably high trait neuroticism is my guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> very, very high trait neuroticism. Um, yeah, but their median would be maybe way above the yeah. general population median. Standard deviation um, plus above the, the population average. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's really interesting. But I think the, the, the entire premise that oh, we're really obsessed with these made-up characters that are anthropomorphized humans and we all get, like, that. the entire premise is a creative premise. Like, the only people who are going to yeah. get into that are going to be trade openness. It's sort of self-selecting. Yeah, so doing this episode has been helpful to rehabilitate, in my eyes, the furry community because before this episode, my image of furries were like was basically, okay, they're the people who gather in a park near where oh, I used to live. <laughs> and... And then just weird porn. <laughs> Wait, in, in, Ed, in Edinburgh, sick. Edinburgh Gardens. In Edinburgh Gardens, yeah, people yeah. used to do that. That's so fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I don't, you've just ruined. You've just ruined Edinburgh Gardens for me. <laughs> it's like one of the best parks on the planet, and mm. now I know that furries occasionally go there and fuck it up. <laughs> Can't have anything yeah, nice. So doing doing this episode has been good. It's it's shown me at least some of the positive aspects of the furry community, including the working the, through of deep problems in your psyche, which I'm sure Dave Hopkins, the the author of this comic series, Jack, had or has, and uses uses a furry, a very violent, graphically sexual furry comic to work through which is probably the most interesting aspect of jack is the the psychology of the author so listeners of our recent episodes might have noticed that sometimes we ask the question what problem is this person trying to solve and interestingly mm. enough when i've been speaking to jack not not jack the in the story that we're about to talk about but jack my co-host <laughs> Who you listening to? The non-furry Jack. The non-furry Jack, as far as I'm aware. I mean, I, you know, he says that <laughs> online in this context, but I don't know. Maybe he's got a fursona <laughs> that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyways, Jack says, uh, so uh, he's written some books and uh, he's going to be publishing them soon. And they're fiction books. And he was talking to me about how, even though they're fiction books, uh, Jack is still trying to solve a problem, which I found really interesting. Actually, I was talking to him about this just before he jumped onto this call. And so, Jack, what problem, even though it's a fiction book, 
or a fiction series of it's essentially a graphic novel really um mm-hmm. do you think that david hopkins the author of um this 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 furry comic what problem or problems do you think this this dude's trying to figure out through his writing so part of this is like th- this is informed by I've actually read an interview or excerpts of an interview with him that J-Man, shout out to J-Man, yeah, shout out to um, J-Man. Sent, uh, sent me. And so Dave Hopkins is Christian. He's very sincerely Christian. Deeply Christian. He has a lot of like, quite misogynistic thoughts that in this interview he says he has, but he uses particularly the character of Drip, whom I'm sure we'll talk about at length, which is also one of his first owners. He has a furry suit of Drip, the character in Jack. He uses that to, in some way, exercise these demons he has in his psyche regarding women. And and then also his his feelings of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys will learn about Drip. The Drip is quite a he. Drip is quite the character. He personifies Drip when he because he has a he has a first. That's so drip. fucking creepy. You know, he has a wife as well, so he does he does interact with and live with a human female. So <laughs> female, yes, female. <laughs> so from the point of view of Jung's distinction between. Uh, go and listen to our Jung episode if you want to learn more about what I'm about to say. But a psychological fiction versus a uh, what was the term that he used? A uh, mythological or a um, mythological? Yeah, a mythological. I think this fiction. is psychological because he's strongly psychological. Yeah, he's very aware that he's oh visionary. Sorry, psychological versus visionary. This is a psychological, yeah, self analytic yeah. piece of fiction. Yeah, this is very self analytic, and it is interesting seeing him work through theological problems in within his christian faith and real question like very deep questions such as why do bad things happen to good people why do bad people get so many opportunities to redeem themselves and why do they deserve that and that's interesting but what makes it so much more surreal is it's through the medium of a furry comic series so you'll have You'll have characters discussing these theological problems, but there'll be like anthropomorphic rabbits or birds or something, which <laughs> is just so strange. I'm sure for people who are more immersed in furdom, that strangeness probably goes away as you just become more used to conveying information or stories in this way by using these furry characters, but for someone on the outside of the furry community that never stopped being weird during during me reading what were hundreds if not thousands of pages of furry comics in preparation for this episode <laughs> jack is deeply psychologically scarred at this point yeah but this was not <laughs> easy for me to read actually this is one of the harder things i've had to read cuz it's particularly when, because there there is a lot of nudity, and I just I still have that repulsion response when I see some some rabbit titties or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't sit well with me. So why don't we give a high level idea of what this 
comic series about. We're not going to. We'll spare you a play by play. It's very long and. Uh, and also, we don't want to spoil just... stuff. Like, if someone wants to read this, I don't want to give it give it all away for them. For them, yeah. because it and does also have it's, a it's plot. primarily graphic. It's a graphic novel as well, so we, yeah. you're not going to get that much out of us talking about it. But at least at a high level, it follows. In particular, the main character is Jack. This mm. one of uh, the personified. Seven Deadly Sins of uh, mm-hmm. the sort of Christian... Was it Thomas Aquinas or someone who came up with the idea of the Seven Deadly Sins? But, you know, everybody knows about the Not Seven sure Deadly Sins. Not sure who came up with that. You know, like wrath, greed, lust, gluttony, sloth, yeah, and so yeah. forth. And, and Jack uh, is wrath. Jack is wrath, and he is also the Grim Reaper. And it follows mm. his adventures taking people down to hell or, well, taking people to the afterlife, whether to hell or to heaven and the gates Mm. of heaven to be judged. And there's a few repeating characters, but Jack's the primary character. And he uses this, these stories of uh, these uh, basically Jack's missions to um, what would you call like, it's a morality uh, ga- tale. Gather, gather people's souls as a way of like analyzing morality and telling stories yeah. about morality. And that's where this comic series is most interesting because it's, yeah, it's it's a very very focused morality play because it never maybe in some of the side arcs it would it might steer away from an examination of Christian morality, but I didn't read so many side arcs yeah, but in the main line in the mainline plot you're never far away from from david hopkins analyzing his christian faith and it it and really are, comes across as an intense self-examination intense self-examination so it's it's strongly psychological and strongly theological or like american yes, christian very strongly theological there is because yeah, sometimes it's more symbolically ex- examining theology, but yeah. sometimes he will just have two characters sit down next to each other and start law dumping Christian theology on why good thing, why bad things happen to good people, and the inverse. Yeah, the problem of evil, <laughs> and particularly, I get it makes sense within a Christian context, particularly the idea of people being redeemed. People's, people's pasts not fully defining them and the, the chance of, for people to, by using their free will, atone for their past. That's very, very big as a theme in this. And so I actually, I did not find this book or this particularly hard to read um, like Jack did. I actually found it really interesting in, in a weird kind of morbid, morbid sort of way. I found it interesting, but it... It's just, it's something about, it's particularly the porn. The porn aspects. Or the, the real sexualization, because there is a lot of sexualization, even in the non-nude bits of these animal characters. It, it just makes my stomach turn. I, I really you know what the, like it. the repulsion might be? I'm just like hazarding a guess here about it. Uh, why people find the furry stuff, the sexual f- nature of furrydom is that they're not just animals. That's one thing because they're cartoon animals, like whatever. But it's also that they're also quite, what would you say, nubile? <laughs> or they're quite, very childish. 
they're very childish, so it's it's borderline in, um, in their behavior too. Yeah, and obviously a lot of the characters are adults, or <laughs> but even them, they've got like you know like big doughy eyes and all this stuff. You know, like the um, infantilization of the mm. drawings themselves mm. probably makes it quite like I think a lot of people. Even if they wouldn't articulate like that, that I have a suspicion that might be also why it makes people so uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point because it's it's not just how they're depicted graphically, which I I agree with you. I hadn't thought of that. The they have quite childlike features, but also their behaviour is very their very childlike. Very childish. Yeah. So love is a very very prominent theme in this. So yeah. most um, characters will have someone that they're deeply in love with that. And they obsess over that person almost in less in the way of someone who has been married for a long time, even though within some of the stories these people have been married for a long time. I say people just as a shorthand, like the, these furry characters. Yeah. But they act in a way almost like a young child might in obsessing over one of their parents. But stacked on top of that is this weird sexual angle yeah and also so, in their mannerisms and things like that so when when you if you see a five-year-old or a six-year-old their physical mannerism or their mannerisms in response to things that happen to them are so exaggerated so when they're happy they'll throw their arms up and jump around when they're sad they'll hang their heads down and cross their arms and curl up into a little ball children's physical gestures tend to be very very pronounced, pronounced. And in this sort of naive way, and those same, those same physical cues are present in this comic. There's yeah. a real sense of childishness, which is very strange when it's mashed together with highly introspective Christian theology. <laughs> That's why I think it's it's partially. I would not necessarily. Oh, sorry. In addition to what you said, I would also say <clears throat> that the sexuality of it and the the love, quote unquote, love of the characters is the sort of love that you would expect a teenager to, or yeah, what yeah, you, yeah, like yeah, a teenager yeah, yeah. would think is love, which is often more like obsession or fixation. Mm. So the classic example being, I don't know, just a teenage girl just becoming obsessed with a particular pop star or something and just like posters. You know, I used BGS. to go over to my um, family's, you know, like other family members' houses and um, my uh, cousins, female cousins, would often have like lots of posters of pop stars and stuff, but especially they'd be like, normally be like one particular boy. I don't know how common this is all around the world, but it seems like a bit of a trope. Like they would be like Justin Bieber or, or whoever. Um, uh obsessive obsessive about them in a way that's like that's not love that's fixation that's something else mm, and mm, it definitely mm. the the way that love is conveyed and sexuality is conveyed in the furry stuff that at least we read for this is very much in that vein of naive and immature fixation and kind of a misunderstanding or an incomplete understanding of of what love is yeah one one interesting thing too when it comes to the the naivety surrounding sex as it's depicted in this comic is the characters will repeatedly just proposition each other and will you know the the person being propositioned will either agree and say oh i may as well or they'll say no but it's always laughed off 
as something very, very innocent. And the the person doing the propositioning will just say, oh, it was worth a try. May as well. And that's also just like, this probably doesn't need to be said, but it's not really how it works in adult or even in teenage Do you think that's life? what happens like, in furry in furry cons? Like maybe that is how they do carry on in furry cons. It might. It look. It might be. I don't know. Um, but also, <laughs> it's, it's in strong. You should, we should also know that that's in strong contrast oh, sorry, to. It's in strong contrast to presumably how David Hopkins would actually have sexual interactions with other people and people in his community, mm-hmm. like conservative American Christian community, does not carry on. It's like it's kind of like it's almost like how he imagines people in a sexually liberated place in his imagination would carry on mm. if they weren't so sexually repressed. Like it'd be so much more casual or something, you know. <laughs> it's interesting with because I'm not sure how conservative he is because a lot of in quite a few places yeah, in this book he talks about homosexuality within the Christian context. And there was one I forget which which number it was, but there's one arc where a very big part of it is discussing how Christians should view gay people and lesbians. Yeah, that's true. So maybe not conservative. I shouldn't say conservative. And he comes to the conclusion here. He comes to the conclusion that they can go to heaven and it's, it's not a bad thing. And there are quite a few, there are a few characters actually who are very homophobic and either come to a sticky end because of it or come to the realization that it's not bad. And that feeds into this, this recurring theme of redemption, and in doing so, are redeemed. Redemption is such an interesting topic, isn't it? Yeah. The idea it, that we can be redeemed. I, I've said this before, but it's so surreal seeing this guy analyse his faith and his psyche in the form of furry comics. It's, it's For people who, who are more used to furry stuff, maybe this deep self-examination using the medium of furry comics is more normal than i think it is but this is my first exposure to it and it's it's just wild this is it's a very interesting work and when i say i found it difficult to read doesn't mean i don't think people should read it it's really interesting i think it's worth reading if if at least for like 10 minutes to see what we're Mm. talking about and yeah yeah. oh that's weird (laughs) one interesting two act thing um that I just remembered regarding the childishness is how often people cry in this. There's so much crying and so much almost childish over emoting. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Or maybe I would say that, could you say that uh, it's, it's animated and it's um, on, on the visual level, but with regards to the emotions or, and the social, relations between the characters it's almost uh it's hyper real it's it's that yeah it's very exaggerated yeah yeah in a really interesting way it is fiction obviously so he can do whatever he wants with it (laughs) it's sort of like that's his his style yeah it's fiction but being used to explore himself is certainly the impression i got and i think to a large extent the tension he's exploring is a lot of it is explored between the characters of Jack and Drip. How about we, yeah, let's contextualize, because you contextualize it a bit by saying it follows largely Jack, who is an, a green anthropomorphic rabbit, who is now Roth, one of the, the seven sins, and the Grim and so Reaper. so basically, each of the seven sins did something in their mortal lives that was so egregious 
that not only were they sent to hell, but they were turned into mm-hmm. one of the high mm-hmm. servants of of hell. So not just being a petty demon or being tortured, but, oh, you mm-hmm. are actually mm-hmm. now wrath itself and your job is to go and claim souls. And Jack doesn't like it. So he doesn't judge who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. He just brings dead souls to judgment. And oftentimes he's he's really torn or he's unhappy because he will see someone who he thought was good or deserving of heaven or at least not deserving of hell who will go to hell because they killed themselves or something like that. There is a lot of suicide in this, a lot, which makes me wonder if Dave Hopkins has had suicidal thoughts himself or someone close to him killed themselves or had those sorts of thoughts because there is so much suicide in this comic series and the souls of those who have killed themselves go to hell and that happens very often. One other thing that I wonder is whether Dave Hopkins experienced a loved one being in hospital and dying and him him wanting to tell them how much they meant to him because there are a lot of scenes like that in this in this series where there is someone in dying in a hospital bed and their male romantic partner because I think it's always a male romantic partner yeah. who's grieving at the bedside and I, re- I wonder whether David Hopkins had a number of those experiences or one experience of that that really made an impression. Yeah, it, it, since it's so psychological a text, I w- <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be surprised if that's, if, that, if that's uh, biographical, uh, autobiographical. Just on the suicide question, hmm. that's a really interesting one because so one of the key problems in philosophy is the problem of evil and lots of philosophers across different cultures have tried to answer this problem but in particular at least my exposure to it as a western citizen is uh in christian theology it's a real it's a real sticky problem because the question is well if if god created us we're made in the image of god and if god is benevolent and all loving then why is there evil? And lots of books have been written about this. Um, and it's, it is really we interesting We will solve it problem. in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I think that has affected Christian theology, the development of Christian, I think it even affected the Reformation itself. Um, I think this might have been one of the sticking points for Luther, is that, well, what about suiciders? because they've committed a sin, the last act of their life was to take a life, and nobody should take a mm. life except for God. And so they've committed sin, and they killed themselves, and so should they go to heaven or hell, and some people land on the side of the world, they would go to hell. And so if David Hopkins has been suicidal, then he'd be worried about going to hell, if that's what he believes. Mm-hmm. Or if he had a loved one that he knew was very depressed or something, and they killed themselves, then he presumably is extremely worried about the uh, well-being of their eternal soul. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting problem. He's trying to grapple with the morality of his own beliefs. Yeah, and at least if, if the contents of Jack are anything to go by, and I do, I 
take his word for it in this comic series that this really is him grappling with these problems. This is him bearing his soul to the internet. He very much believes that if you kill yourself, you go to hell. So in, in, this, in this comic series, he does create this structure of heaven, purgatory, and hell. Spends much more time on hell, a bit on purgatory, and not much on heaven. I it's- remember asking my friend once what... Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 go on, go on. <laughs> Fuck, one day we're going to do an episode in person, dear listener. And when we do, there'll be substantially more interrupting one another. No, there'll be much less. We promise. <laughs> yeah. Jack and I don't interrupt yeah, the each thing other is, this much normally. <laughs> we talk over each other in person. <laughs> I just don't know how much it's going to help. How we talk on this podcast is... Not unrepresentative of how we talk at person. <laughs> yeah, it's just not helped because we can't take social cues about, oh, no, that he's still going, he's still mm. going. All right, I'll wait. Um, anyway, so as I was saying, what was I saying? God damn it. <laughs> about your friend. Something about your friend. Oh, my Christian friend, yeah. I asked because uh, I went to a Christian school and uh, like an Anglican school. So not the most hardcore Christians, but, you know, they definitely get around the Bible. <laughs> and one of the many problems that we spoke about in Bible study was the, the problem of evil and, uh, and hell. And I always wondered, like, you know, like, what is hell? And also, what is, what is what's going on there? And, you know, if, if God's... There's two elements to the problem of evil. If God is so great, then why is there evil? That's, that's one question. But also... Which, which David Hopkins actually gives a very succinct answer to this in our question, which is free will. Yeah, in, and he does. Yeah. He spends quite a bit of time talking about it as well. But another one of the problems that I asked was like, well, if God's so great and people die and the ones that are Christian get to go to heaven, that's one thing. But then why does he have to torture the ones who aren't Christian? Like, couldn't he just let them die and just disappear and just not exist anymore? Why does he have to torture them forever? And I asked one of my friends, you know, what's, what's going on there? And he just didn't give me a straight answer. He's just like, well, God is love. And so wherever God is, that's where God is going to be. And that's where love is and all the good stuff is. And then hell is just the absence of God. So it'll just be bad. I don't know what's there, but it's whatever it is, it's going to be bad. And, and there's one, there was one Christian American Christian film that we watched in particular where it posited that maybe hell is just like endless darkness. You're just kind of like floating in the abyss. You're not being tortured, but you're just kind of like a disembodied soul. Uh, so it's much more like the ancient Greek afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Which Just I found interesting. Absence. Yeah. An absence. Like you're still conscious, but except for being conscious of, you're conscious of the absence of everything else. And yeah, mm. I don't know. It was just interesting because David Hopkins' view of hell is that, no, it's a place specifically set up to torture people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In really and- vile, sardonic and, Often ironic <laughs> ways, like yeah, God's got a sense of irony. <laughs> he's very creative, David Hopkins. His his depictions of hell are very very florid. I did yeah, enjoy like the, the, the medieval the, depictions. The, the twin towers are in hell. One of the towers has got a big hole in it, and people live there. Really? Huh. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you notice yeah. that the World Trade Center's in hell? No, no I didn't. I think it's in. Uh, didn't a necropolis or something, but yeah, there's a part of hell where the World Trade Center is. <laughs> yeah, how about we talk about Drip? We've we've talked a bit about Jack this 
quite sympathetic character who I, I won't give away what he did, but he did something really bad in life. And actually, I won't give away his origin as well. All I will say is that David Hopkins answers the question of why is the entire world populated by furries in this comic strip, which which ties into the plot in a really fun way. But Jack did terrible things in life. Now Jack is wroth and doesn't remember what he did in life to to deserve to become wroth and to an extent disagrees with or struggles with the decisions of of god in judging some of the souls that jack brings from earth to judgment so in some ways you can view jack as as this side of david hopkins which is struggling with christianity and asking these sorts of questions about his christian faith and then you've got the side of, of Hopkins that I think Hopkins regards as evil and bad and something to be resisted, which is Drip. So Drip was in life a mass murderer and rapist who did things like raped his own children and things like that, who, who was killed and was just so good at rape and murder in life that he was made into the deadly sin of lust. And he's... I don't know if I'd call him the primary antagonist. He's among a cast of antagonists, the most prominent, probably. Yeah, yeah. Who he's just he's just basically pure evil, just incredibly sadistic, always trying to to hurt everybody around him. And he's punished in hell by not being able to feel any sort of gratification for the depraved acts he carries out in hell. And he's trying to escape hell so that he can enjoy being a terrible person again david hopkins as i said earlier uses this character of drip not only in the comic strip but also he has a fursuit of drip this way i guess to contain and control his misogynistic urges and his on some level dislike of women i find that that, that's very interesting and remarkably self-aware on his part. It is interesting too in this particular interview I read with him where he says he feels real anger at men who are violent towards women, motivated by misogyny, because Hopkins says that if he can control these urges, then other men should be able to as well. It's <laughs> when when I say this is him bearing his soul to the world, it, it really is. He just lets it all hang out. Yeah, you gotta respect him on that level. Yeah, yeah. Most people are too um, too formatted, to be honest, about their deviations from whatever's socially acceptable. Yeah, he's he's very open about these things. I also think that he's given his age in America. You know, there were there are a few really big crimes that happened in the eighties and nineties that really left a mark on sort of American pop culture. The ones that stand out, like. Ted Bundy. Mm, mm. And there are a couple other ones in the US and in Canada that uh, if you go if you go into a I can't remember what it is. It's it's one of it's like some fandom. Oh, that's right. There's a there's a true crime show and there's a fandom about it and this true crime show like tells the stories of serial murderers and stuff. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and man, there are some fucking sick people out there <laughs> suffice to say and some uh drip really reminded me of um 
of some of those people. There was, in particular, there was one. There were several where, like, they would keep their prisoners or whatever, and in a basement, and like rape them and all this sort of stuff, and then or make them watch while they raped other people. And when those stories broke, they sent chills down the spine of you know, like every American household. And it's probably part of the reason why in America, like, I don't know if it's in America or if it's in, in also in other parts of the Anglosphere, uh, there's almost been an overreaction of, like, like wrapping kids up in bubble wrap and always being worried about mm-hmm. where they are mm-hmm. and stuff because, like, these crimes were, one, so heavily publicised, but, two, they were so vile, you know, chilling, chilling crimes. And to me... Um, well, a number of things come up from the Americans like guys like school shootings in this. But with Drip, it's sort of like he's he represents all of those crimes that probably happened um when based on his age, like David Hopkins was probably a teenager or an, or a young adult. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm fucking yeah. his age. Yeah, he seems <laughs> very preoccupied with these yeah. things and very preoccupied with with how bad men specifically can be in that most male characters in this this series will be rapists or pedophiles or at the at the very least very violent people at any point when it's particularly you'll have a an adult woman plus minus a child whenever a man will offer them shelter or help or something like that Chances are he's going to end up trying to rape one of them. It, there, there is a lot of rape. Which is just what men do, right? Like it's just yeah. what men do. Non-stop. <laughs> just can't, can't, won't stop, can't stop. But that's interesting too. And I wonder to what extent that is, that is Dave Hopkins feeling these particular urges and in some way exercising them in a comic strip. Or if that is also how he views the world, in that he think he sees all other men having these same impulses towards women that he does, or he said he does. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah. Very interesting comic strip when it comes to he doesn't have <laughs> getting very, into the author's head. He doesn't have a very positive view of men or women. It seems there's like he just doesn't that a pretty strongly moralistic view of everyone (laughs) there are good aspects to the world in that very consistently characters will love each other as we said earlier in quite a teenage way but still he he holds that in very high regard he thinks love is very important particularly love leading to childbirth so I, i don't know if he has kids or not but he obviously feels that having children is extremely important because he brings it up. Could you imagine this is your dad? <laughs> like, how, how did dad yeah, keep that... food on the table? What was he doing for a living? Oh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he made much money off Jack. He said in one interview that it, it continues more because he, he knew how he wanted it to end and it's very, very important to him that people are at least given the chance to be redeemed. And so yeah, I, I won't talk about the ending, but he he wants 
he wanted to wrap up that redemption or that chance at redemption. And so was mostly doing these comics for that. And because people would write to him and say that it meant a lot to them. I don't think this was financially very, very lucrative. This definitely wasn't keeping the food on the table. No, but, you know, he got a, he would have paid. It would have helped. It would have helped. It definitely, like, convert reputation to, like, speaking gigs and stuff. He should have gone into making furry porn because I hear that is very, very lucrative. Really? You can make a lot of cash if you're willing to <laughs> to draw Lola Rabbit with a shirt off or something. <laughs> uh, yet another thing that makes me want to throw up today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there, there are good things in the world. I found Fanar, is that his name? So not really spoiling much I, I think that's how it's pronounced, Fanar, for no apparent reason. Fanar is the first character that you meet in the entire series. And long story short... When, when he's getting aborted. He's being aborted a or something. And uh, he's, uh, he's, he's in hell, but he can't be affected by hell or harmed. He's under the protection mm, of mm. hell because... He was because he's in, innocent. Because he was innocent when he died. He was. You know what's interesting? In his thing, he said, uh, "You, Adam and Eve, sinned. They were innocent, but then they ate of the tree of knowledge, and so they were innocent and ignorant. And then they became not innocent, but they knew too much. And so he's like, "You're innocent, so you can't be heard, but you're also ignorant, and we're going to leave it that way." <laughs> I found that. For, I was like, "Yeah, that is interesting. Very person. interesting." Would Fanar have had original sin, e- even though he was aborted as a fetus? I think that's would the he argument. Have had original that sin? I've I'm not sure that where they don't, that they don't. When does it? When does original sin come into someone's life? At at what stage of embryonic development? At that babies that die or are aborted go get to go to heaven. I've heard some Christians in the US to, around the abortion debate say that. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So Fanar is is innocent, so can't be harmed by hell, and he helps Jack out. Yeah, there's an interesting cast of characters. There are also a number of angels who will help Jack out at times, particularly Farago and Central. And then uh, there's one called Reckonin, I think, who has a sword, and Jack calls upon this particular angel to basically kill people when when Jack's having a hard time killing them. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is impressive, the creativity on display and how there'll, there'll be subplots of Jack having to chase dead souls around who don't want to be taken away to judgment and they'll find ways to evade Jack or to try yeah, to fight him off. Yeah, just ticks him off. <laughs> he just gets pissed off. Yeah, he just gets annoyed. Because <laughs> <laughs> he inevitably finds them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Jack's relentless. I actually found Jack a really endearing character. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. You know, he, he becomes... Initially, he seems dislikable, but David Hopkins does a good job of making him more likable as as the series goes on. I think David Hopkins is actually a really good writer, like character writer, because uh, I can only... Yeah, so this must be, he makes this must distinct be characters that you, you do care about. Surely he must have made a career doing something like comic book writing or something, because he's really talented. Yeah. If this is just one that yeah, he put I'm out I'm not sure free, what he does. Hmm. Because he can also draw well. I, I, I will say 
the quality of the art does vary a lot. And I'm assuming that it's just to do with how experienced he was at drawing at the time of writing. And I think he also redid a few of the comics too, which is why you'll, you'll have the experience of the comics being well-drawn and easy to follow. And then suddenly there'll be one particular arc, which is just unpleasant to read. It's hard to read things. It's a draft. The drawings it are worse. Like a draft. And then it'll go back to being fine again or even good. He also seems to ex- experiment with different drawing styles a lot or did in the process of writing this, some of which are much better than others, but some of them changed so much that I was having trouble recognising which character yeah. was which. I should also say that this, is, this represents years and years of work because when did this... When did this start? It's been going on for ages. Launch date, March 1st, 2001. Yeah. Is it? And it's ongoing. It's not finished yet? It's still ongoing. So, yeah, it's <laughs> he's, he's still making them. Hmm. That's like um, Calvin and Hobbes. Or did Calvin and Hobbes end? But, you know, like there's something. No, I think of- Bill Bodison stopped. Yeah, so maybe uh, would um, Dilbert, is Dilbert still going? But, yeah, these long-running comic book worlds or these comic worlds mm. i actually really like that style of art i yeah. occasionally look at dilbert i really like dilbert <laughs> <laughs> really funny but this has a this has a much stronger plot yeah than yeah, yeah. calvin and Hobbes or dilbert in that calvin and Hobbes exists within a consistent world but it's it's not as if there's no you can't jump in yeah, there's no to narrative. a certain yeah to a certain collection of it and and you won't know what's going on. I got the sense it was more like uh like DC. Yeah, Jack has Jack has a a plot that that you do need to follow chronologically. And there there will be side plots. Some of the even some of the main arcs cuz this is split up into you'll have you'll have an arc and there there are numbered arcs and those are kind of the mainline story and then you have side arcs which you can read for some more context. But uh, I've heard there, there are certain things where they'll shed some light on what's going on, but they're not as essential as the main arcs. But even within the arcs, there will be some like subplots which aren't completely related to the um, the story of Jack Drip, the denizens of heaven and hell. Uh, did you read the one where it was almost like Call of Furry? It was like furry marines on some planet which wasn't earth fighting these bug people (laughs) uh i don't think i did read that one no okay yeah he takes some weird detours (laughs) um so was there anything that um other important concepts or characters that we need to touch on without giving away (laughs) without giving away the arc the story i don't think so because again doing a um just doing a walkthrough of the entire plot is not going to be that interesting. Is, it, is this reflection... And will stop people from reading this. Is this a reflection of... How, how well known is this book in the furry community? I think it's quite well known. Yeah. And I know it's one person's work, but I wonder how much this is actually resonates with other furries or if this is like something that everybody knows about but doesn't really get engaged with. mm, mm. In the rest of Feridim. Yeah, to what to what extent is it 
Is it well known because it resonates with people to what extent? Is it well known because it's gone on for a very long time? There's a lot of rape and it's very violent. And it's just one of those things. Yeah, to what, to like, what extent is it famous? Out. To what extent is it infamous? Yeah, famous versus infamous. Hmm. That's a good question. I wonder. Guess we'll find out. Fur first rain first 2015. It's definitely infamous. <laughs> <laughs> and Furcon 2014. Also pretty infamous. Whatever year it was. Yeah. I found it interesting. What else should we talk about? Is there any other interesting things to talk about it? Probably not. Probably not. It's been a pretty short episode, but <laughs> with something like this, it's less it we don't have as much to go on as, for example, when we read Kropotkin and you can discuss, okay, there, there, there are these concrete ideas that he's putting forward and, and we can talk about that. I liked it. This is the sort of thing I'd, I'd recommend people have a look at it. Probably also, it, if you're a furry, you might actually just be aware of this anyway, and it might not be as, as bizarre as it was for me reading about these Christian morality tales in the context of anthropomorphic fur people propositioning each other for sex. <laughs> but for the for the uninitiated, for the non-furries, it is an experience. It's an uncomfortable experience, but it's an experience. I found it really interesting to read. Yeah, yeah. Very psychological. And if you are interested in Christian theology, maybe... It'd be interesting to read, to see somebody else mm. grappling with some of the questions that come up with Christian morality. Yeah. The furry community is a community that I think we should explore more on this podcast because it's so generative. Should this just become a furry podcast? I would be, I'd be very open to should having... just become the fur club from Having hell? people who are furries or ex-furries on for an episode and we can ask them some of these questions that we have about furries that we just we just don't know enough about the community to really answer. You've heard it here for here first, folks. This is now the fur club from hell. Looking for furries. I am yeah. I am there are, Princess. There are a few people Tilda, on our Discord that the Fox are or have been interested in in the furry community. So <laughs> certainly they could come on if they want. I'm now Catboy Levi, actually. And Catboy Levi, this is I don't know, what what animal are you? I'm a cat boy, apparently. So, yeah, that's what, right. You, you've had fan drawn of you, yeah, as a cat, cat boy. boy, cat boy Levi. I've not, I've not been furrified, so I'm not sure. I'll <laughs> leave that yeah. open to. I think you would go well. Anyone as a, as should a they? honey badger. I think I could see you as a honey badger, or maybe an otter. <laughs> otter. Actually, you know what? That'd be very cute to see a little, a little otter jack floating around with a little stone on your belly. Yeah, that's a good one. Otter jack, otter jack, and cat boy Levi. That is fur club from hell. That is something from this comic strip <laughs> that I found interesting is just the sheer variety of of non-human anthropomorphic figures that you can you can be a furry as. Etymologically though, I do have some problems in that some of the characters in this comic strip were birds and birds don't have fur and I that upsets me <laughs> that that they will be given this misnomer of furry despite Despite having feathers, yeah, feathery doesn't. That really might be my biggest criticism of this comic strip. Really does it? Or they're they're like turtle people. Turtles aren't furry. That's they have scales. Uh, scalies. That's, that's a reptilian fetish. And furries. <laughs> what about slimies? Yeah. I did see some bugs as well. Uh, like not even vertebrates. 
not even invertebrates. I was scuba diving yesterday and I started freaking out in the water, not because anything was wrong, but because I saw this thing called a sea cucumber. Did you know about these fucking things? Oh, those are so gross. Those are so weird. They're like giant slugs, but they're really cool as well. They're yeah. super alien. Um, didn't say any, there, no sea cucumbers were represented in this. I think that if there is going to be a new subgenre of furryism, there needs to be something more focused on like invertebrates and cephalopods. Oh wait, no, sorry, mm, that's hentai. Mm, yeah, something something <laughs> with radial symmetry. So, so, yeah, that's the Japanese furry porn. <laughs> <laughs> and as expected, it's connected with porn. There's a lot of porn of it. Uh, yeah, I want to float around in the sun and balance a pebble on my belly now. Mm, mm. Yeah, that this was interesting. Not the easiest read, but this was very interesting, and there was a lot more to it than I anticipated. It was it was recommended to us as something incredibly bizarre and extremely uncomfortable, and so I like, I was uncomfortable, but there was much more to it than I expected. So yeah, shout out to Dave Hopkins for making something genuinely. At, at least in my experience, unique with the with the proviso that I don't know much about the furry community and haven't been extensively exposed to it. This was new to me. Also, unless okay, correct me if I'm wrong because I maybe I just missed missed it. But also not anti-Semitic. <laughs> you didn't pick up on any no, anti-Semitism, no, did you? <laughs> you could have gotten it in there if you wanted to. <laughs> you didn't see any. This is how low the bar is on this podcast. Unique if and not like openly anti-Semitic, you'll get praised. For well it. done, well done, David Hopkins, for creating a massive Christian theological furry thing without putting any anti-Semitism in it. Well done. In fact, really, there wasn't anything that I would say strongly indicated any sort of like racial stuff. Good on you. No, not racial stuff. David Hopkins. It is hard to tell. Might be a closeted rapist. When they're animal people. Not a closeted racist. Fantastic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so what have we got? Next next week we're going we're going from reading furry comics to the Black Book of Satan, released by the Order of Nine Angles. A uh, an occult Nazi organization. My two favorite things in the world. <laughs> Occultists yeah, and Nazis. Yeah. They, they go, they go <laughs> they together go really, really well. well. There is, I mean, to be fair, the Nazis were pretty into their like, like weird esoteric symbolism. So it's pretty natural. Yeah, they actually. definitely were. But the, the Order of Nine Angles, they've taken that and run with it. Uh, this is the Satanism in this is much more in your face. It's very in your face. It's more satanic. They, they tell you how to do a black mass. They tell you about how you, as the master or mistress of a particular satanic temple, can oh, can like make really your sa- like successful. actually Satanist. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, like not any of Satanism that means many things. Like Satanism can be anything from limp-wristed, <laughs> liberal, democratic, Reddit atheism, which much of it is all the way to all the way to like we are literally worshipping demons and we are we are neo-nazis in the case of the order of nine angles 
Cool. Yeah, so that's there you fucking have it, folks. That's what we're doing <laughs> <Cool>. next week. <laughs> we're going from heavily Christian, rapey, furry comic to satanic Nazis. You gotta fucking love the book club from hell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Thanks for listening. That's how we spend our time. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for listening. <laughs>